We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hello and welcome to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network. I'm Neil Bradley, your host, along with Joe Quinn. Hi there. We're also joined by Harrison Keeley. Hi, everyone. This week on The Truth Perspective, we're interviewing two people we had with us last week. We're very fortunate they've agreed to return this week. James and Joanne Moriarty, they've been on our show at least three times now. It's always great to have them. Welcome, you guys. Thank great you to so be much. here. Thank you, Joe. We're John. honored to be with Alan you. Harrison. Okay, good. So last week we had you on and you introduced us to Sheikh Khalid Santush. He's a Libyan cleric who's uh, suffered these last few years at the hands of Al-Qaeda and jihadists, Muslim Brotherhood nutcases who've taken over and run Libya into the ground. So we thought we'd have you back on to give us some more update about what's going on in Libya and for, frankly for some more of your insights about the broader situation because you guys have seen it up close how this works, because this is obviously more than Libya. But uh, if you want, we can use that as a launch pad. Do you want to maybe give us some more loadout? Well, let me ask the first question. Do you know how the, the Sheikh is doing? Is he okay? Is he safe? You know, you know I don't think he's safe. He's back in, in Libya now because, uh, as you know, he's one of the heads of the, of the third largest tribe in Libya. And they wanted him back there because he is the most respected imam in the country. And they wanted him back there to, to support the, not only the tribe, but the whole country. Because there is a, the conflict has exacerbated there. And uh, uh, the bad guys, of course, continue to get weapons and arms and money. And the good guys are precluded by an, uh, an embargo from from uh, restocking their weapons and everything. So it's a real tough situation for them. And Tripoli is, for all practical purposes, uh, the old West. The guys with the best shots, most guns are controlling a section for a time, and they're fighting with the other guys. And unfortunately, about 30-something years ago, uh, Chad started a fight with Libya, and, and uh, one of the top generals in the Libyan army joined science with with Chad because he had already been hired by the CIA. And when Chad lost that war, he ended up being evacuated along with a bunch of his crew to, to uh, the United States and was pr protected by the CIA for everything. He was went to Lake, Virginia. And then when this when this false revolution started, when this phony Arab Spring, they dropped him down in Libya in to, Benghazi. In Benghazi to to act as the coordinator, the general in charge of all the mercenaries that U.S., U.N., and NATO were bringing into Libya. These were Hillary's rebels. And, Proxy uh, army. So after uh, the revolution didn't didn't uh, wasn't accomplished in two weeks as they had promised, uh, then the fighting started in earnest. And uh, after oh I don't know six or eight months, after then flipped and said he was now going to help the Libyan army get rid of all the bad guys, which was always. A false flag. He was never intending to do that, but 
he's been the guy with plenty of money. And so he's traveled to Russia. He's traveled to France. He's traveled to the United States. And so it looks like uh, Russia and the United States are going to back him with $2 billion worth of worth The of United States, not equipment. just Russia. Russia's talking about it. Well, the U.S. is joining hands with on it. But anyhow, the, the sad part is, is that, that uh, this will guarantee the final destruction of the Libyan culture and everything and the, and the ownership of that country by Muslim Brotherhood. And the interesting thing that happened, Obama's last day in office, he uh, instructed uh, AFRICOM to bomb Syria to Oblivion, which it had been bombed, I don't know how many times in the last year, a bunch. Over 500 times last year, AFRICOM's been bombing. They, their reason was they were getting rid of ISIS. That was their reason. But what they were doing was opening up Syria so that the Nisrata militias, Hillary's gang of Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda, whatever you want to which call is it. Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood. Mostly primarily. Muslim Brotherhood. They went in and took over then, ordered Syria off, and began to rob the people. that The people that were left there now were having their houses rammed rampaged and stolen anything they have in there they also destroyed the animal feed plant which is very important for the people of that region uh for food for other things and they also stole all the electrical copper out of the uh, out of the electrical lines so the people have no electricity there about about 18 months ago the cia moved into seert and built 19 uh secure compounds for the leaders of ISIS, Muslim Brotherhood, etc. And those compounds are impenetrable, if you will. And of course, those have now been, been those, the people who moved into those are Muslim Brotherhood. So it's just a, you know, smoke and mirrors. It was a, a, another, as the Libyan tribes say, this is just more of the dirty game that's been uh, done to their country. And, and Sheikh Tantouche informed us that a lot of the guys that were in prison with him were rebels that when they had exhausted their usefulness to the to Hillary Clinton and the bunch, they were put thrown in prison. It was cheaper to keep them in prison than it was to pay them to fight. So, you know, there there's uh, the dirty game. We have no idea how far it goes. But well, Sheikh Tantouche is now in, in uh, Libya. He went there to be with his tribe, but he we spoke to him yesterday. He's he's struggling because he he, he said everybody is fighting. He said the, we have these militias in the street fighting all the time. And he went out and tried to discuss with them to stop fighting and discuss peace. And he said, no, they, he said, there's no discussion of anything with them. It's very difficult here. He said no one in Libya trusts anybody else. And uh, the tribes are yeah. trying to stay out of it. But uh, it's a terrible situation. Yeah. Um, well, that's I mean, that's the result of uh, of Western intervention. We've seen it in, in so many other places that. Yeah, uh, I- Continued support of the Western intervention by the bad guys and yeah. Belhaj, who's Abdul Hakim Belhaj, who was in prison in Libya, was captured by the CIA for terrorist acts. Worked with uh, uh, what's his name, Osama bin Laden. Uh-huh. He is now and and John McCain's best friend, of course. He is now one of the lead guys fighting Haftar. He's joining, trying to join all militias together to go against Haftar. So you have. The CIA there acting like they're helping Libya. Then you have Belhaj who wants to be the leader of Libya. You have these two factions fighting each other now. It's really a mess. Right. Well, what's your what's your take on on Belhaj? Because he is. Um, I mean, you mentioned that he he's suing. I think the uh, are trying to sue the CIA for uh, for for being on you know rendered or taken to a CIA black site and tortured, etc. But um, he he has a bit of a 
he has a checkered history in the sense that he um not, not he, I think not just checkered out really he's bad. Black. He's bad guy. Listen, he is Evil. probably the most hated man in Libya, without yeah. a doubt. The the right. the shell game that's being played by him is if he acts like he's really a good guy and just a, a concerned rebel and stuff like that, and if he was tortured, then it gives it brings the the bleeding hearts to his right. defense. Okay, he looks it, like a he looks like a good guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah not, exactly. He's no, but. that's sort of, that. I think that lawsuit is is going to be go by the wayside. There's so much proof now that he's stolen over some billions of dollars from Libya. He's now a billionaire. You know, there's so right. much um, proof of his heinous deeds that uh, I, yeah. I don't think. But, you know, the he's, part to be broadcast is is that he has got a lawsuit because kind of, he was beat up. You know, right? Yeah, he's uh, back in the um, in Libya in the early '90s. He uh, well, well, he he fought in the Soviet Afghan War with, uh, uh, on, on the, you know, in the pay of the Americans against the against the Soviets in, in Afghanistan in the in the late seventies and eighties, and then he joined the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group and tried to overthrow Gaddafi. Uh, right. In the, he in the started the, the Libyan mid- Islamic. Yeah. He's, yeah. Right. That, was, that was in the mid nineties, and, yeah. yeah. and then he goes to Afghanistan. He joins the Taliban. Uh, and then it was an arrest warrant for him uh, issued by the by by the Libyan authorities in the early two thousands, uh, uh, and he's basically yeah he's he's more or less uh, he's Al Qaeda or he was and and is Al Qaeda and certainly a, a CIA asset to some extent uh, to one extent or another, and I think he was involved also in in uh, obviously he was involved in the in the NATO bombardment and overthrow and murder of Gaddafi in two thousand eleven. But then he was part. I think he was seen, or he was involved in shipping, or had something to do with the movement of weapons by the CIA and by Hillary from Libya after they had destroyed it to Syria. No, that was he was taking money and gold into Syria to to pay rebels. Yeah, he he was caught right. by some authorities with a lot of gold in it and uh, stolen money and a fake passport. We have a copy of it. I hope I hope everybody realizes. That the CIA, the Mossad, MI6, for all practical purposes, are mercenaries for the cabal bankers. They're, yeah, that's who they are. And everybody, right. all these false flag operations. I don't care what name you put on them. I don't care if it's Al Qaeda, Muslim Brotherhood, Anser Al Sharia, Living Fight. All of them are the same. They just change the names to confuse the innocents, if you would. And we don't really know who's on first base because today they're Al-Qaeda, tomorrow they're Muslim Brotherhood, etc. And mm-hmm. each one of these these named entities, like Muslim Brotherhood, was actually started by MI6. Al-Qaeda was started by the CIA, etc. But they're really mm-hmm. all, they all have one purpose and one goal, and that is to, to uh, complete the agenda of the New World Order, One World Order guys. And uh, according to the Georgia Stones, for the, for the bad guys to accomplish this, they've got to remove six billion souls from the earth. Mm. And, uh, you know, how are they doing it? They're doing it by war, by pestilence, by disease, by whatever. And, and we're seeing all these things coming to the surface. You know, the CDC was raided. That's the, the Center for Disease, disease Center in, for disease in Atlanta. And uh, they're forcing the inoculation in the United States of all babies. And it's been proven positive that those inoculations contain 25,000 times the amount of mercury that's safe for a human mm-hmm. to receive. They are full of all kinds of aluminum and other toxic things. And uh, guaranteed, half of the 
population in the United States will be autistic by 2025 from these inoculations right. and these other things. The CDC was raided and uh, they found that they have 20 patents that are earning them $4.6 billion a year for inoculations. Plus they hold the patents for all these d- terrible diseases, uh, uh, AIDS, uh, the Ebola strains that are out there, cancer that can't be cured, all these patents for these these uh, uh, inventions of, of terror and destruction are owned by that entity. So, you know, that's an evil that is looked upon as, as a beneficial organization. Yeah. There's quite a few of those, you know. Yeah, so, guys, let's uh, let's talk about a little bit about, because you mentioned it last week when we were talking to Sheikh Tantush uh, about... And we mentioned at the beginning of uh, of the show about the idea of passports in Libya being, or Al Qaeda running a passport office, or, or or passports being issued to more or less Muslim, these kind of mercenary jihadi type terrorists to to go to the U.S. Yes, yes. What happened in in 2011 when Libya fell to the NATO uh, invasion? The Al Qaeda and the Muslim Brotherhood, all the jihadis took over. They, they absolutely took over Tripoli, and they took over all the ministries. And one of the ministries was taken over by a man, last name is Gaib. His brother was Al-Libi, who was one of the top terrorists killed by the U.S. in Afghanistan. He was given the passport office. He was also given the, the southern borders on the Tunisian side. What he began to do immediately was issue Libyan passports to all these mercenaries who were in there. Very few of them were Libyans. Most of them were from Afghanistan, Yemen, right. Chad, Egypt, wherever they came from. He gave them these fake passports. They, If their English was good, they gave them a new Libyan name, which, of course, could not be traced. They gave them a, Libyan, a new Libyan passport issued by the Libyan passport office, and immediately they received a permanent green card or a multiple entry visa. And those are difficult for a foreigner to get. Most of the required years, they, they receive those immediately. Plus, these good English-speaking terrorists were funded immediately in the United States with bank accounts of a million dollars up to four million dollars each. And the rate was a hundred a month, moving up to a thousand a month. And they have been processing people through Libya since 2000, since October of 2011 into the United States. They've been doing the same thing into France, same thing into Germany. Right, and I mean that's almost sounds like the kind of uh, U.S. version of of what has been happening via this. I mean, the genuine, I suppose, in a certain sense, immigration issue into from Syria and other places into Europe over the past few years. I mean, there's all this talk about there being you know terrorists among the. I mean, it's been trumpeted by the media that there's terrorists among the the, the immigrants, but this seems a more like a, like. A, a much more direct way to get these guys into the U.S. It's, it's, it's really what it is. There's a few immigrants among the terrorists. Yeah, that's it. Right. And out of out of Syria, we spoke to a man. He's since been killed. He was a pilot. He was real. He he contacted us, and he said, "I was I was part of a three seven forty seven caravan of planes that picked up over seven hundred men each in Syria and flew them to the United States. Landed at at uh, the offside at an airport in, in New York. And when these people, when we landed, before we took off, each one of them had to sign a 21 page non-disclosure agreement that included guaranteed jail time. If they were spoken the about pilots. what they did, hmm. the pilots, the pilots right. when they landed, there were government officials there. They gave these guys passports and 
buckets of money as they came off the airplane, and then they just dis- they were dispersed oh, oh. into the New York area. This is over two thousand people. And what's what's the point? What, why? What are the, what's their goal? What are they meant to be doing in, in the U.S.? Same thing, well, the same thing the they Ge- did to Libya. Look at the Georgia Stones. The, uh, what the, what is really happening, and I hope you all can connect these dots, is the Arab Spring is happening in the United States. The way it's they, happening in France. It's happening in the, Germany. But for people to understand, the way they created the Arab Spring was they started with, and I'm sure you guys know this already, but maybe the people don't. They started with these false flags. They started with false right. Uh, right. Re- revolutions and, and people burning themselves alive in Tunisia and all this. And then they fomented a lot of stuff with movies. I know they have a fake green mm-hmm. square in Qatar. And they fomented this this media just time after time after time again. Really, their goal was Libya because Libya is not only a rich country, but it's the gateway to Africa, the gateway to, to uh, Europe. Yeah, but their overall goal is the world. It's yeah. a new world order. But Libya is a pinnacle point for them to train their people. They want to use it. Right. right. So you're talking about kind of terror attacks in, in the U.S. by these that would be blamed on ISIS or something like that? Absolutely. Right. Well, it's starting. No, it's 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 more heinous than that. When they when we had uh, a black killed by a cop, supposedly, and it turns out right. that the black guy was never killed. Big show about that, and Obama's making a big fuss, and all the black activists go to this, and Ferguson is burned down, and mm. the and the and the, the attacks on police become so uh, exacerbated, and now then everybody's fighting the police, and the police are killing the blacks, and everybody's trying to get uh, comfort for the blacks who are who are being assassinated by the police, and a lot of the police are involved in these in these false flags, but we've seen. Like the discotheque in Florida, that was a false flag. The the school in uh, New England was a false flag. The one in Colorado, these are all false flag events where, yes, innocent people get, get killed, but the actors are paid uh, uh, crisis all actors. The, right, other dupes or whatever. Right, yeah, exactly. And we see the same people at all these events, but what's happened is they're undermining they're the authority of the police. And they they sent all the police stations and all the sheriff's departments in the United States. They've sent uh, uh, vehicles that are military vehicles. They equip these guys with with uh, Kevlar uniforms and, and helmets. They look like military, paramilitary. They don't look like the police. They don't look friendly. And they're all over the mm-hmm. United States. And why would they do this? Well, the, the the what they did with Libya was they attacked all the police stations the first day or 16 different police stations in 16 different cities. Libya was not a country that had a lot of uh, uh, law and order protection police and so they didn't need it. They had their tribal uh, law and order and they had other things. Well, they started out by by attacking 16 uh, police stations and killing the police and taking all any weapons and uh, blowing them up. It was a complete coordinated. Act. It was a military attack. We saw that, and we thought, "Gosh, this is terrible." Then we start looking at what happened in Ukraine, and uh, again, a false flag operation. And the and the people that were killed on that plane had to be the same ones that that uh, left Malaysia a few months earlier, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, the plane was obviously shot down. Go ahead. You know. Well, go ahead, Joe. Guys, if I can just jump in there for a second. Uh, We've had on our show uh, the former deputy ambassador of the U.S. based in Saudi Arabia. His name escapes me, but he described in detail, I think it's pretty well known now, how in the 90s uh, the U.S. embassy in, in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, was handing out 
U.S. passports and green cards like candy. Um, I mentioned that because investigations into the aftermath of the Oklahoma bombing in 95, I believe it was, mm-hmm. um, they pulled up some, at the time, very weird data. One of them was that there were training camps of Middle Eastern guys of unknown origin in the U.S., I mentioned this now because I'm, I'm trying to rack my brains as to whether there's a specific thing that they do with them when they send them over. I mean, do they go to kind of, well, you know, School uh, of the Americas types right. camps? I think a lot, training, of, or? The, a lot of the commanders would be trained in the U.S., right, for this kind of thing covertly. That's what they did in South America. They take these people in, give them special training and torture and military, acti- uh, you know, techniques and all that kind of stuff and send them back. So that's probably happened in the U.S., a long time before now, like in the 90s and stuff, in terms of preparing for this kind of thing for the Middle East. But what, what's uh, what's what's weird to me though is this talk about what you're what you're saying about Libya, and I, and I don't I have no reason to doubt it that that people from you know jihadi mercenary types are being sent from Libya, given passports and green cards, whatever, and multiple entry visas to the U.S. Because in the current climate, you know, with this whole, especially under with Trump, with the whole kind of Muslim uh, kind of immigration hysteria and stuff, it's kind of like you guys are saying. It's that could be one way, one kind of way that the, the U.S. would be kind of ripe for a kind of a, a kind of a some kind of armed conflict or uprising or social discord Air, where it's not going to be. It's, yeah, Air it's not going to be the blacks. There are, yeah, there, there are training camps in the United States, forget about sending them back out. No, they are. When these guys arrive in the United States, they have accounts full of millions been proven. Mm-hmm. Then they bring in their families and their friends. And we gave a seminar almost four years ago now in Northern California. And there was a group there. One guy was a retired uh, general in the military. And he said, listen, he said, you don't know how serious it is here. He said, 40 miles from where we're talking, we're talking about Northern California, the least populated part of California. Might as well be different. I mean, it's a different world from Southern California. And out in the middle of the mountainous area out there, full of trees, there is a jihadist training center. Has hundreds of people there. Muslims from all over the world are coming there. And that's not the only center. There are literally hundreds and maybe thousands of those training centers all over the United States. And young women, and children are being shot, taught how to shoot, how to how to kill, how to do all the how to attack the the uh, electric grids and power plants and things like that. And and the general said we've been there watching them, and he said they're well trained. He said there are professionals in there training. Them. He said a lot of guys that are trained them have wide faces, mm. and he said we're very concerned about. It. He said believe me, we are preppers. That's the term used in the United States for people who are preparing for Armageddon, you know, mm-hmm. preppers, because these camps are here. Now, mm. Joanne and I have been focusing on Libya more than we've been focusing on the United States. But let me tell you, since we've been talking about this and talking about the passports, the attacks on us have increased tenfold. And Joanne and I are here on a little tiny limb, isolated from everybody. We've been soft killed and blacklisted. And we don't have any protection at all. And they have. They have eliminated our ability to defend ourselves. We cannot get a job, and we're still telling the truth. And because of the passport deal, because we're exposing that every chance we can, they're attacking us. And we had a good friend call us, and he said, we don't know how you all are still alive. They know about you, and you have to be very careful. And Joanne said, well, do we need to stop talking on the radio? Do we need to – because we don't have any place to hide. 
we don't have the ability. And uh, they said, they said, no, you need to continue to what you're doing because you're being effective. Mm-hmm. So this is a real problem. This Arab Spring is happening here in France, mm-hmm. Germany, all over. Joe, let me say something here. Um, I want to I want to speak for the Muslims for a minute because the, the the Libyan Muslims anyway the ones that are they're completely anti-jihad anti-radical Islam they call these people that act as Muslims they call them takfiri you know that's right, fake Muslims right. and this is a this is all part of the agenda to make to divide and conquer they want people to hate Muslims they want Muslims to hate us you know right. whether whatever side you're on it's a divide and conquer deal so I want people to understand that these these jihadis and, and some of them, a lot of them went actually to uh, out of Libya into Syria and still carry their Libyan passports that are coming here now. They fought mm. in Syria, a lot of them. Um, but pl- please remember that, that that there's a lot of peaceful Muslims. They, they have nothing to yeah. do with this. Well, that's, this, this is, John, that's the thing that's actually worrying me is because I, I look at the, this in, in a kind of from a if I look at it from a broader perspective, I see kind of prior to 9-11, you know, Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda being presented to the public basically as this threat to America. And then you have 9-11 and that just, that's where it just goes full bore, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, basically a war on, on, on Muslim terrorism around the world by the USA and its partners and stuff invade various countries, all this kind of stuff. And throughout this whole process, you have terror attacks and FBI terror plots and all this kind of stuff going on. And the whole process over the past 20 years has been to uh, convince as many people uh, as possible in the West anyway that Muslims are or that they lean towards terrorism or that they're dangerous people, basically. And... uh, I'm wondering if the culmination of all this, of course, the reason for them doing that was that they could justify invading Muslim countries and overthrowing, you know, uh, leaders of Muslim countries to to get access to resources. But I'm wondering if there isn't something extra coming down the pipeline in the sense of, uh, is there a kind of, are they setting up a kind of pogrom? Like you guys have said, they're putting, they're setting uh, Muslims against, against Christians, effectively against Westerners, uh, kind of civilizations. And is it, is the plan to have some kind of a, a real kind of pogrom against ordinary Muslims. And like you said, the vast majority of Muslims, and I, here I'm talking about probably like 99% of them, are, are just peace-loving, normal people kind of thing. But they, they want to set it up so that, uh, you know, they'll be able to put them in concentration camps or kind of have a recreation yeah. of the Second World War in some way with right. the Muslims in the place, place of the Jews. And that's very dangerous because we're in France, and I mean, there's six million six million Muslims in France, and a population of sixty million people. That's like ten percent of the population. And I mean, Muslims here would be in serious difficulty if it got to the point where the whole population, the, the you know, the non-Muslim population, was up in arms about these Muslims carrying out. If there was some other big attack, or if you had a bunch of jihadis that waged war on France or in America, I could see it happening in America as well, especially in the current climate where. You know, the, a large part of the population could be turned against Muslims, and they can end up in concentration camps. Is that is that the plan? Oh, oh, that, that's part of the plan because destabilization is a big key for them. Yeah, but it's not. That, it's that not. Would, it, that, it's not really the Muslims. It's, no, it's it's these are terrorists, and uh, if there's six million in in France, and let's say a million of them are bad guys, and those guys have been trained in terror activities, if a group of fifty of those go door to door and eliminate the opposition, if you would, how many of the good folks in France are armed and how many of them are prepared to slice the throat of whoever they meet that's a different color? Well, these terrorists are trained to do that. So 
the normal folks like us are not prepared to kill everybody that we see where these guys are. So right, you, don't, right. you don't have to have a majority to win a war. You know, you just have to have a dedicated group of bloodthirsty terrorists and they're not Muslims. They're they're They have hijacked that religion. And so mm-hmm. you can focus on the bad guy. These Muslims are terrorists. They're bad. They're really not. But, they're but they're they, not Muslims. Yeah, they, they uh, the, the peaceful Muslims, like the, the ones in Libya, that 98% of them are peaceful, uh, you find them hated more by these radicals than they hate Christians. Right. They, right. they hate, and they will, the, the Libyans will tell you that, the tribes will tell you that, that they're, they're, they would rather kill us than a Christian any day. The fact that we're discussing them, the fact that we're discussing them being Muslims, that means they've made half of their agenda effective. Because right, they're not right. Muslims. They are terrorists. They are. They have come into our country and your country to kill us. And the agenda for that is to eliminate six billion people because there's too many of us. Now, look at it this way. If they were just normal, if say, say they were just terrorists from some unknown place. They had no uh, religious tie to them or of any kind. They're just terrorists. The whole world would hate them. The entire world would hate them. Right, right. They would have no chance. So they have to co-opt some religion or co-opt some some belief system or something that makes them part of a group that that pe- some people will support, some people will hate, and makes a big tear in the in the culture. Well, Jim and Joanne, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this because there's a lot going on. Because one of the big um, like question marks over the past several months has been Donald Trump, because if you look at all the things that you've been descri- describing about what's going on in the states, like we've got the, like the, basically the jihadi training centers in the United States that have been going on, and that's been going on for years. We've had years of um, not only the Bush administration and like the, the CIA within that, well, all the way back to the 80s, um, CIA involvement with, you know, um, Al Qaeda and jihadis of all stripes, whatever you call them, carrying on over the the Bush years and the Clinton or or the Obama years. Uh, with Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. So you've had all this stuff going on, and that seems to have been setting something up, like Joe's been saying. But now we've got Trump that's coming to office, and he seems at least to be saying a lot of the things that um, that don't agree with the agenda that the, like the, um, the Bush and Clinton and Obama CIA people have had. So, but at the same time, like Joe's been saying, it still seems to be going in a certain direction because uh, Trump has been, um, like for a long time, um, at least, um, you know, playing with this this idea and seemingly st- um, stoking these this anti anti Muslim sentiment. So, and now you guys are describing all the stuff that's going on, and you know, there's plans for like an Arab Spring type situation in the United States. Um, so I'm wondering how how have things changed? with Trump coming into office or have they changed at all or and is this kind of clash between Muslims and and the West an inevitability or is there something that's changed first of all the media is the one that is making this a Muslim deal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the security of the United States does not exist you cannot have a country without borders and the the southern border of the United States is 3,000 miles long and everybody's been flowing in and in fact if any uh, government employee whose task is to protect that border, if they have been doing the job, then they were eliminated, fired, whatever. That border has been forced to be open for the last 16 years. Not just Obama, but Bush before. 
there has not been an election in the United States, I don't think, in 50 years. There's The votes don't count. The guy that they want to put in office is put in office. The first time that a non-politician has ever gained office in the United States was Trump. And he did it by a revolution of the people. When Hillary Clinton was having 300 people at her rallies and he's having 30,000. And they end up with a vote where she supposedly won the popular vote. That is BS. There were 3,000 illegal aliens in California whose votes were counted for her. There were 4 million dead people in Arizona whose votes were counted. I mean, Nevada, whose votes were counted for her. There is at least 25 million documented phony votes for Hillary Clinton already. She wasn't in the race, never was in the race. So that's a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. The thing about Trump, the reason that that he is – uh, he was elected is because the Republicans hate him, the Democrats hate him, all the the media. New World Order hates him, the media hates him, everybody hates him because he's not one of them. And so consequently, all these stories about what he's doing, they tried to impeach him before he was elected over phony stuff. And as you mm-hmm. well know, the media has no truth in them at all. They have an agenda. They're owned by Soros. All these activities, all these uprisings, all these false flag operations in the United States have been funded by Soros. And the amount of money put behind Hillary was about $1.6 billion against $300 million from Trump. And the $300 million didn't go to Trump. It went to other candidates. Uh, they took $400 million out of the Department of Defense. Obama did this and gifted it to Hillary and the other Democrats. That's illegal. Never mentioned there's a huge question about whether Obama was even a U.S. citizen. Never questioned. There's never been any pressure against the system here by the media because they're part of the system. So all these things you hear about Trump, I'm going to discount all of them or 99% of them. We hear he's a rapist. We hear, hear this. But then the truth, Trump has been a humanitarian and done humanitarian activities that he never talks about. You never hear about the good stuff he's done. So he has been attacked, and God bless him, because he's not one of them, and that's why they hate him. And they can't trust him because he's trying to to do what's right for the country. But because he's doing that, he is being attacked, and he is sitting there in a cesspool. He's got 550 politicians and uh, 20,000 government workers against him. He's having to push a piece of string uphill, and everybody around him is working against him constantly. So, you know, he's got a tough, it was a revolution by the ballot box and they could not miscount the number of Americans went and voted. But I can tell you, we've been saying forever that Trump needs to have a complete audit because this crap about Hillary having won the popular vote is BS. She won one state. And even at that, you take the 3 million illegal votes out of California, Trump even won that. The other thing that Trump is doing that this is, uh, one of the reasons Libya was attacked was because they did not have the Rothschild bankers there. And the Rothschild, the, you know, the cabal, the bankers, um, they run the Federal Reserve. And Trump has said he wants to audit the Federal Reserve. And he said it's really it's probably time to get rid of the Federal Reserve. That's a really dangerous thing to say because everybody who's ever said that has died or been thrown out or whatever. But he understands money. That's one thing he really understands. So all of us in the United States who have suffered under this debt system of fiat currency and the whole world who suffered under it are happy to hear him say that and and stand behind him in that and hope to God that the evil that's around him gets washed out, you know, or that he can Mm -hmm. can bear Mm -hmm. it. 
you know, you've got some mainstream candidates like like John McCain is just evil personified. And I'll give you a, a good example that just happened. Hmm. This this new airplane, this this F thirty five, is an absolute fiasco. It's so hundreds of millions of billions of dollars over over debt, and it does not even work. They can't fix it, and they and the fixes they're proposing cannot be tested until twenty twenty five. It's a mess. But first thing Trump did is he went in there and he eliminated six hundred. Uh, million dollars worth of immediate overrun expenses, and they're going to reduce that total deal by $600 billion before it's finished. John McCain is livid about that because that was his contract. They were bringing a bunch of phony jobs into Arizona. He is livid. He is so mad at Trump because Trump is getting in the middle of his military appropriations committee that he mm-hmm. can't stand it. Well, John McCain is evil. He's Bell exactly. Hodges. He started ISIS John- in Arizona. There are few people I dislike as much as John McCain. But just to uh, just just answer Harrison's kind of point that or, or question that he asked a, a few minutes ago, I don't think it's so much that Trump is what Trump is doing is kind of uh, exacerbating or you know pushing up the the tension uh, or increasing the tension on the on the Muslim thing, as in, in the sense of having a, a backlash against Muslims or increasing anti-Muslim sentiment in the U.S., it's more so that the media and the kind of deep state, the people in the government or in the, in the U.S. that are working against him, are using the left to uh, make it look like he is doing that because of their reaction to it. So Trump just passes some what are on the face of it, or even in reality, uh, fairly reasonable rational, sensible laws to protect the U.S. and, and, and keep its borders secure. And the, and the left, you know, and the anti-Trump crowd kind of uh, whip that up into this anti-Muslim, always oh, being anti-Muslim and, and, and heighten yeah. uh, the, the anti-Muslim rhetoric and make it look like he's doing that. But it's not. It's their ridiculous, hystericized reaction to it mm-hmm. that, that creates that image, you know. Exactly. I, I agree 100%, Joe. That all he's saying, and he didn't say, I'm not, he even said that I'm not anti Muslim, I'm anti jihadist. And we have to figure right. out who these people are. And, and us knowing, and, and you knowing, and people knowing that these fake passports coming out of Libya are. are legitimate reason to question. But here's the disingenuous part every single president, including Obama, all of them have put restrictions on, on uh, the border. On the on immigrants, yeah. all of them, every single president. Jimmy Carter had a huge deal. Ronald Reagan had a huge deal. Bush won. Bush two. They all did this. So it's disingenuous to act Brenton. like Trump. Oh, this is the first time anybody did this. Trump's a bad guy. No, it's to protect the United States. And then with the influx, which is proven, of all these questionable people, and what he's done, he hadn't eliminated the 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 rights. They just have to have pass a background study. Well, how bad is that? Well, you know, they can right. still come in if they if they can pass the, the strenuous it, background. That's test. a constitutional requirement that Trump took as president to protect the United States security. That's that's in the Constitution. He, he's required to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, to, to say he's doing something illegal is, is and the courts have no standing in this. And thing. Trump so. was elected because he's going to shut down the illegal immigration. So that's the will of the people of the United States. In and other words, he's yeah. he's actually going to apply the laws. Yeah, he, yeah. The, exactly. he's making the, he's making and applying. Uh, sorry, 
making the same laws as all his predecessors, Clinton included. We've all seen that State of the Union speech where, you know, it's incompetent. There's no difference. You can't put a paper between what Clinton said in 93 or 4 and what Trump's saying now. But the reason they're at him is because they suspect that he's actually going to apply the laws for the first time. That's right. What a a concept. Well, and like what you guys are saying is that, well, when you just look at what's happened and then the, the reaction to like the the immigrant ban, the refugee ban, like it's being called, it's been it's been totally over the top, and people are almost kind of going going in the, in the extreme opposite direction by denying that what Trump's saying is possibly has any basis in reality. But like what you guys are saying, and what we, what we've seen, um, you know, for years is that it's actually based in reality. Like there is there is a threat. And that, like, there's all these guys with fake passports, and they really need to be vetted. And what Clinton and Obama were doing is that they, you know, they may have, like Joe was saying, or Neil was saying, like, they may be um, at least giving lip service to these kinds of policies and laws. But what they're really doing is letting these guys into the country for a very specific reason. And now Trump is saying, oh, well, let's actually stop them. Yeah, they facilitate them. Here's the thing. If you talk to John Q. Public in the United States today... You're going to find that the more false information comes out about the, this fake immigration mess, the more the people here steal their backbone and want Trump to do more. Yeah. Don't stop with seven countries. Block everybody coming into this thing and, and make them pass the test because it really is about verifying who they are. And, you know, when you eliminate, I'm going to say it again, when a country does not have borders, when it does not have laws, it, there's not a country. And we're in a real we're in a real difficult situation here in the United States, as you all are in, are in France. How many riots are you seeing in France, and how often did you see that in the past? You didn't. And for these people that are coming in, they're not Muslims. They are not Muslims. They are low intellect psychopath takfiri that are taught to go in and disrupt, rape anybody they want to, steal whatever they want to, and they are being backed up by these. By the New World Order, by the Zionists, they're, by the 85 guys that own 70% of everything in the world. They're the proxy army of the world, New World Order. And and it's hidden from the world, of course, with the help of the media. But when we were in Libya in 2011, and, and you've heard this before, I'm sure you guys have heard this, but I'm going to say it again for the people. We met H.E. Dangor, who was the plenipotentiary uh, ambassador of South Africa, from South Africa to Libya. And he was in our hotel with us because... Li- Tripoli was being destroyed by NATO and he couldn't stay in his, his um, embassy. We sat with him many times and we had coffee with him. And I asked him one time, finally, I felt like I was comfortable enough to ask him. I said, why in the world did South Africa join NATO against Libya? They've been very close ties to Libya forever. And, and Gaddafi's done first world activities in Africa and all this other stuff. And he said, you know, he said, we did not want to join her or fight against Libya, but she showed up in our country. Your secretary of state showed up in South Africa and told us in no uncertain terms that if we did not join her war against Libya, that we would probably find these rebels in our backyard. He said, it's like this woman had a closet full of them. I said, she does. It's, you know, if she were to come out and say, I have an army I'm going to invade your country with and overthrow your government, would anybody in the world stand up for that? No, it's all done mm-hmm. It's all subverted, you know. It's all done under the table. She did exactly the same thing to a very, very close friend of ours in Kuwait, who's about fourth echelon royal family there. But you know, I want you all to, to appreciate the fact that we're not we're not 
third parties. We're eyewitnesses to these events. And uh, that makes us special, but it also makes us, makes us you know, more dangerous we're, to the bad guys. We're a liability. Mm-hmm. And uh, the things that we say, we, we get directly, we, we saw them with our own eyes. We saw the phony passports. We had uh, living bring the these things passports. to us and say, look at this. We just arrested these guys, and they got U.S. passports. And he said, they don't speak English. You know, so these guys, it was a dirty game being played on both sides of the fence. But look at the history. It's always been the same. The military-industrial complex has been owned by the the Rothschild, Rockefeller, Clinton, Medici bunch. They've been up, they've owned it forever. And all the wars are bankers' wars. And they make gazillions of dollars. The more bombs that are dropped, you know, they got to buy that bomb again because it's not reusable. They, they foment both sides of everything. And so that's one thing. The next thing is there are too many people on the world and they, they've blueprinted what they plan to do to us. Obama said he wanted to have a, mil- a private military of at least 3 million people. He's got them. He's got them. And there are these radical, bloodthirsty terrorists. They're in the United States probably three times that amount. Now. And so do you guys, they tell us what they're going to do. Yeah. Do, do you guys have any insight into, because, I mean, with the, with the amount of people that we know, the amount of these terrorist jihadi types, just mercenaries, basically, that came into Libya and then into, into Syria, they were moved into Syria, they came from somewhere else into Syria. I've been trying to figure out uh, how that kind of a thing is organized. Because you're talking about tens of thousands of men uh, who are all... And their families often. And sometimes their families, if they have any. Uh, and it's almost... I, I kind of think of it as that. You know you know, manpower, the kind of recruitment, the job agency, uh, temporary job agency? It's almost like this, there's something called jihadi power, you know? Have you heard of USAID? Look into that, Joe. That's yeah, where all well, the money comes from. USA, and they, but fund, somebody, they fund and finance all these activities. But somebody has to be going out and finding these people from the very, like in, in Syria, it was 29 different countries and getting them and moving oh, yeah, them I, physically I, I, into that country. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a, here in the United States, the baseball systems and your, your, your part of the world, the soccer system. You know, you have, you have farm teams out there and the the gosh, there's a good soccer player that's eight years old, and they're moving him up through the system. Well, the CIA, Mossad, and MI6 have these uh, uh, feelers or have these these uh, recruiters all the way out to the tiniest little village. And when somebody comes along and looks at a psychopath, they they promote him up, and they have bought these criminal imams, these guys that are that are money grubbers. They bought them. They've installed them in these in these mosques. And the way they do that is they provide the money to build the mosques, right? And they provide a little bit of money to the locals, and they they do a little bit of good for the locals. And so, gosh, that mosque becomes the center point of that community. And as these psychopaths show up, they promote them. They move them up to the next level. And they move them up to the next level. So they've got a farm team organization. And it's not just the CIA. It's CIA, Mossad, MI6. They're bringing right. these guys in from all over the world. They're moving up. They've got they've, they've got, got probably a hundred million yeah, in the a, in the in the trough right now. They've got a they've got a big training camp in Qatar. They've got one. Mm. They've got training camps all you know all over the Middle East. There were twenty eight of them in Libya. CIA new CIA training camps in Libya when we were there. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't mm-hmm. like it sprouted overnight. No, they were prepared to move those in almost immediately. 
and they were they're in Jordan big time. The, Jordan has a huge training center. Qatar, the largest military U.S. military base in the world, is in Qatar. That's the biggest training center for these bad guys. How in the world could you be next door to the U.S. military base and not have some overflow of information? You know, it did. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to suspend well, disbelief. All, a lot of the yeah. weapons came into Libya, and we have proof of this, where it came from Qatar. They, the Libyan uh, Coast Guard captured, I think you've seen that probably, the Libyan Coast Guard captured a bunch of weapons, all stamped Qatar, of course in English, and weapons and all this other stuff. It was U.S. weapons and U.K. weapons were being brought in by NATO. By, the guys on the ship gave up everything when they were captured. They said NATO was helping, told them to do this, and all this other stuff. So they were illegally bringing weapons in under the guise of, uh, you know, we're just a ship coming into port, but they were full of weapons mm-hmm. and they were caught. Mm-hmm. And we have pictures of that. We have videos of that and everything. We, that happened when we were there. But all the U.S. military has been involved in that. These guys, uh, you know, every every U.S. military leader you look at has been in Libya. And all of a sudden, when they left Libya, a bank account of theirs in Switzerland was fully funded with a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, a shipload, 4,000 tons of weapons ends up in Syria, delivered to, to yeah, Turkey and all of Syria. If you remember, Bill Clinton uh, gave Mark Rich a, a um, pardon. A pardon. pardon, yeah. Mark Rich and, and Bill Clinton are partners in running guns. And Bush Senior. And Bush Senior, and they mm-hmm. had a lot to do with what came into Libya. Um, Morsi's a good friend of Hillary and Bill Clinton for thirty years. He played a big role in what happened in Libya and in getting. He was the lead uh, organizer of getting Chris Stevens killed. Mm-hmm. All of, it's mm-hmm. all family, if you will. You can you can tie tie the ends together pretty easily, and I'm sure we're missing some that would even make it str- stronger. We have a document that gave the Libyan tribes gave to me about three months ago. It's in Arabic, and it says that Hillary Clinton and Chris Stevens were both to receive five million dollars for helping uh, start the war in Libya. That was one of the first payments. Then every U.S. no every politician that went into Benghazi after. The 18th of February, 2011, got a $10 million gift. John McCain, we know, picked up three times, Hillary Clinton at least twice. But from all over the world, any politician that would go there and be pictured with the rebels got a $10 million gift. Mm-hmm. I doubt Cynthia McKinney did, but the rest no, of sure. Did. She wasn't no, no. pictured with rebels. <laughs> no, she, she was wasn't. with us in Tripoli. No. She was mm-hmm. against <laughs> She's a jewel. You know, she, Cynthia McKinney. And Ron Paul are the only two politicians never to have signed the Allegiance to Israel agreement. Whenever you cross the Potomac River, you are required to sign that agreement or you never get moved up in the government. Cynthia mm-hmm. didn't sign it. She was a one-termer, and then they, they really ostracized her from the Democratic Party. Ron Paul, because they, they treated him like a, a kook all his life, but he never signed they it. Those are the only two. They couldn't get Ron Paul thrown out, though, because he comes from a part of Texas that he's so popular in. There's mm-hmm. no way they could get him voted out. Cynthia McKinney lost her seat by one vote. And the Democrats would not do a recount. Right, yeah. Very suspicious. Um, but on this Chris Stevens thing, just what was the deal with Chris Stevens? Why did he get killed? Chris Stevens, because dead men tell no tales. Chris Stevens was the gun runner for the Hillary Clinton. Well, was he, he going to tell a tale? Uh, he could have. If, well, they, if he could have, possibly, that's that's the point. You know, I always say people say, why don't you just shut up and quit talking about Libya? They'll leave you alone. And I said, well, you know, if you were a witness to a murder by the mafia and you, talk, you went to the mafia guy and said, I promise I won't say anything. Do you think they'd let you live? No. Let me give just you, the opportunity that you let saw. Let me give you why 
mm. he was such a, a, a terrible position. In early part of March, this was after the no-fly zone had been established in Libya. Mm-hmm. 20,000 shouldered air rockets were delivered to the rebels in Libya by Chris Stevens as the as the intermediary from from the Bush Clinton uh, rich syndicate. So right, these right. twenty thousand shouldered air rockets were delivered to the mercenaries in Libya after the no fly zone had been established. Doesn't make any sense, does it? No. Now twenty thousand of those rockets plus the ones that Gaddafi already had gives these mercenaries a firepower to knock out. Civilian airplanes all over the world and and, uh, military airplanes. You know, this is a formidable amount of damage they can do. And those weapons were were flowing out of Libya like a sieve. And the president of Chad, the president of Niger, the president of Algeria, the president of of Tunisia all went to the U.S. and said, you all have got to stop this proliferation of weapons out of Libya. It's dangerous, yeah, but they went to the UN and the US and they said it's dangerous to our the stability of our countries. You're making a mess in Libya, but it is flowing out into our countries. You've got to stop it. So after enough pressure, they uh, they told Chris Stevens he had to go get those those rockets back. And the night he was in he was killed in Benghazi, he was meeting with the ambassador from Turkey. And that meeting, that dinner meeting was set up by Hillary Clinton. It was all known about his entire schedule was was programmed weeks in advance, and uh, his function that night was to buy those rockets back at whatever it cost. If they wanted a million dollars piece, they wanted five million dollars piece, and the Turkish ambassador was asked to 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 get Erdogan to use his influence to get them back, and the Turkish ambassador said no, and he left. And when he landed in Turkey, that's when the he was carried by military aircraft into Turkey. And when he landed in Turkey, that's when the attack started and that's when Chris Stevens was killed. He was killed because they could now blame him. Any any repercussions they could blame it on him and he could not tell anybody what really happened. Mm-hmm. And you guys he was, he, was yeah, he was in Libya when they, they took away all of the Gaddafi's uh he was work part of the Gaddafi regime was working on uh nuclear weapons, you know, uh, they were uh, enriching enriching Uranium. He, he was part of the team that went in there and oversaw the dismantling of the nuclear program. I think that was program. in 2005, 2006, something like that, mm-hmm. before the treaty was signed. You know, that they get, oh, Libya, they stopped the embargo on Libya, which was another dirty game they played on Libya. Mm. Well, you guys, I think it was last year sometime, you were on a radio show interviewed with a lady um, who's written a book. She says she was the fiance of Chris Stevens and L- Liddy Denier. Yeah. yeah. Did you have, first, what were your thoughts on, on that interview with her? And did you, did you keep in touch with her? And is there anything that you've learned? Yeah, after yeah. The, fact? the guy yeah. that really was probably responsible for killing him was, was killed in, in Libya a couple months ago. We let her know that she didn't, she had no idea he was CIA. She didn't know any, she didn't really know what he did. We had a nice discussion with her yeah. off the air. She lives in California. She's a real sweet lady. She said, I wish I'd met you before I wrote the book because she, she didn't have any idea about some of the things we knew about. But no, she's a she's a real nice lady. I I feel sorry for her. She's yeah. but you know these intelligence people they don't tell anybody what they do or who they work for. They're not allowed to. So she was really you know she was in the dark about what his real functions were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the man was Sam Ben Hamid, uh, Ansar Al Sharia, whatever group you want to give him. He had all of Chris Stevens' belongings, all of his his passport, his 
documents, everything. He had him on his purse of the tribes, told us. And we, we even knew where he was living, where the, where the documents were being held. But there was nobody to tell. You know, We kicked that information upstream, and, yeah. and Hillary decided that he was not a person of interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed that Trey Gowdy has been uh, over the past couple, you know, couple of years, uh, past few years, really. He's been on the, you know, Trey Gowdy from representative from uh, yes, yes, South Carolina. He, he's been on the on the uh, Benghazi Gate, as it's called, uh, issue, and it, it seems that from things he said, he knows, and I assume everybody else knows what really went on there and what was going going down and who's to blame. He should be, he should be a candidate for an Oscar. Yeah. He's the best actor I've ever seen. That piece of garbage does not want to know the truth about Benghazi. Never has had. Listen, we, no. we not, he has a file not, on us. Not one single uh, Libyan, nor us, nor eyewitnesses to what happened that night have ever been have ever been interviewed unless they're employee of the U.S. government. He's not interested mm. in the truth. His biggest money gatherers, the two biggest money gatherers he's got. When they heard a seminar we did at the John Birch Society Businessmen's Club, they came to us and they said, listen, we're the biggest money gatherer for Trey County. We're going to see that he get, he'll want to know everything you know. We're, we're going to put you in front of him. Two days later, they called us back and they said, has Trey Gowdy's office called you? Have you spoken to him? No. About four days later, they called us again. Has Trey Gowdy spoken to you? No. Well, would you please call him? So Joanne called, spoke to his, his reception. She said, yes, we've got a file on you and, and don't call us. We'll call you. He's never contacted. He's not interested. Yeah. He's the best. He and and uh, and what's the other guy's name? The two Javits. best actors, Javits. Javits, Javits, and and Gowdy, both of them should get at Oscars for their for their performance. Well, mm-hmm. it, it's, they have never come to a real conclusion, and that's you have to watch what happens. You know, it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. Right. So uh, that, not that, that's, a, that's, that's the key right there. If, if something happened, if they came to an in, an actual end of what really happened, then you'd see them doing something. But, you know, uh, really that Washington mess up there is so corrupted and so compromised. Mm. That, Maybe uh, he knows, but he's like, well, what can we actually do at this point? Well, yeah, but I mean, the thing, the, the fact of the matter is, is we, as we just talked about with Cynthia McKinney and people like Ron Paul and stuff, if you're really into it for the truth, you're basically side- sidelined. Now, Trey Gardy gets a lot of press, and he's loved by the kind of Republicans and stuff, you know, by the mm. you know ordinary sure. people, uh, conservatives and stuff, because they think he's a he's kind of talking truth to power, and he's a he, he's like a dog with a bone when he's got an issue there, and he's a very good speaker and all this kind of stuff. But like you guys say, if he knows all this stuff, uh, how come? There's no action being taken on, taken on it, and we would expect that if he was actually to do something serious to really expose this, he'd disappear in a heartbeat. Oh, he disappeared. You know, yeah. on Benghazi, the a man that lived in a mansion right across the street from that one, the son of one of the tribal leaders, saw everything that took place. Was one of the first people in because the terrorist, he was he was talking with them outside his house, and after the fire had gone down, they said, "Come in, go in with us," you know. So he was in there while Chris Stevens' dead body was still inside. He said there was a, it was dark. He said there was a body in there. They were cussing it. They were urinating on it and everything. And when they drug it outside, he recognized recognized that body as being Chris Stevens. But, the, you know, there's a, a number of points Never, that, that he said that proved that it was an assassination. Um, and one is that everybody everybody was in that house left out the back gate. He said he, he had come home from the store. The whole area was cordoned off, had been cordoned off for a long time. Days. Days. And he, nobody knew why. And he said that these people, all these 
people who were at that safe house, that CIA safe house, all left out the back. They have he ramps. Said, like I a slide. Was, he thought it was empty that they all left. No, Chris Stevens obviously didn't leave because it was an assassination. They have a slide. They jump out the window, go down the slide, and the cars are waiting there. They jump in the cars and drive off. He saw the cars exit out the back of the property. Chris Stevens was not in those two vehicles. Where, where the mess up came was where those those uh, Marines or Army guys, the guys that came in to fight that died there, that was not supposed to happen. Do you and, remember you know, General Ham resigned because he wanted to he wanted to attack the place. There were armed drones in the air above that place. Never dropped a, the, a weapon. You know, it's the stinks. other thing that nobody knows or that we we don't talk about this much is I think it happened on a Saturday night and the tribes called us and they called us and told us that our embassy had been attacked before it was even in the news. They said your ambassador's been killed. The guys who did it are in this hospital in Benghazi. They run off to this hospital. It's an empty hospital. You can bomb it right now. I'll give you the court. They gave us the name and the coordinates of the hospital where these people were. I had no one to tell. So two hours later, they called and they said, okay, all these guys have shaved off their beards, put on civilian clothes and gotten into cars. They're in a caravan in these cars and they're heading towards Cairo. They described the cars. They, they said, you can get the caravan on the road. They can target it. He said, they know that these planes can do it. He said, go, go kill these people who killed your ambassador. I had no one to tell. So our intelligence has been proved, you know, to be 100 percent, but nobody wants to hear it. Or if they hear it, they erase it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. You know, we have that document that was given to us. That's the security document study by the Libyan security that was done about the death of Chris Stevens that was published by Jerome Corsi and actually read into the congressional record. And it says that Morsi was the one who funded and uh Set up and arranged, planned, and, planned and orchestrated the whole entire thing. You're and not talking about. Got, you're talking about Mohammed Morsi. Morsi, who was the president of Egypt. Right. Who was who was kicked out? He was brought to power in the Arab Spring, basically, and then removed by Al Sisi. Muslim Brotherhood. He he and his wife are 30 year friends of the Bill Clintons. and Hillary Clinton. Right. Yeah. So that uh, yeah, and that, so that that happened. Um, that was a bit of a shakeup. Then uh, he was meant to be the he was meant to be the new the new pre- um, the, the new pre- prime prime minister or president of Egypt, right? He was. He was. He was. He was, he was at the time. No, but right he didn't last very long, though. So it went no, wrong. Two years. <laughs> came to the. Yeah. He started killing Christians, and he destroyed all their uh, their uh, whole industry of uh, tourism. Tourism. He destroyed it. He was killing yeah. Christians so quick you couldn't count them. Egypt is based on almost, you know, I think 80% of their economy is based on tourism. Right. When he killed that, the Egyptian people began to suffer terribly. That's why 30 million of them took to the streets. Mm-hmm. And in his pers- in the paperwork in his office was the document where he had received $8 billion from Obama to buy half the Sinai Peninsula for a homeland for Muslim Brotherhood. And as soon as, as General Sisi took over, Obama called him to get that document returned and get the $8 billion back. And of course, General mm-hmm. Sisi didn't You know who it. the two uh, U.S. politicians who showed up in Egypt right after Sisi took over within a week was McCain and Lindsey Graham. <laughs> and to say right. that you need to talk to the America about how you're going to do what you're going to do in Egypt. And you know what Sisi told them? I think Egypt can run their own affairs without your help. Send them home. He invited them but, to leave. But, but the other thing they found, one of the big things they found in in uh, Mor- Morsi's desk was a document where the Muslim Brotherhood 
It's a document from the U.S. Embassy where people signed off to pick up money. And they were all Muslim Brotherhood. And they they went into the embassy, picked up cash and signed their name for the cash anywhere from two hundred fifty to $850,000. This was Hillary Clinton's embassy and funding the, the Muslim Brotherhood out of that embassy. Seventeen top Muslim Brotherhood leaders in Egypt received those cash payments out of the U.S. Embassy in Cairo, documented, signed for by them. We delivered that to, to Corsi. There was an article written about that. Those 17 guys were brought to trial in Egypt as spies to the United States. It was either five or seven of them were sentenced to death. The rest of them life in prison without without parole. Mm. Uh, they were convicted as spies. Uh, now, that, that you know, the U.S. is not supposed to do that constitutionally. If, it, if there are any laws affected that the government worked by, they can't do that. But that was done right in open sight in the in the Secretary of State's office in the Cairo Embassy. That shows you how blatant, how much disregard well, that whole group has for the, for the laws of the United yeah. States. Since when did the CIA, the MI5, Mossad, or any of them, right, including Hillary Clinton and all of her pals, when did they ever follow any law? Right. They, they only but, use a law if it's to their advantage. Right. The the term the Muslim Brotherhood uh, you guys you guys have used it a lot and I know it's something that's used a lot by the media but it's kind of very vague I mean I was looking into it just uh, recently I mean I was aware of it but um, I'd looked at it before but I was I was refreshing my 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 understanding of what it is and I mean it seems to me that it's, I mean it started in what well, was it originally found in 1928 and it seemed at yeah, that right. point to be a general kind of uh, uh, a movement for to kind of like bring together Muslims and for, for for change and for progressivism to a certain extent and development of Muslim countries, but obviously under the under the ages of Islam and stuff. But it wasn't radical or anything. But um, it seems that in in recent years, it's basically it, it's been co opted at, at some point in the past. It was co opted by Western powers, and they're using it for the same thing. But it's it's for revolutions and uh, overthrows or, or regime change in Muslim countries as the West needs it, uh, they use this group, uh, they've infiltrated it in some way and, and use it to, to do uh, the West's work rather than work that would genuinely benefit um, Muslims in, in the Middle East because I was just looking at, the, at their entry on, uh, on Wikipedia and I, and I clicked on the name of the spokesman Gahad El Haddad, his name is and uh, he, uh, you know, he grew up in Alexandria and stuff, and it's just a very short entry, but he says he studied marketing and filmmaking in the UK on a scholarship, and then he uh, he returned to Egypt, and he worked for the Industrial Modernization Center, and then the Clinton, the, the Clinton Climate Initiative. Yeah. Uh, well, so he that's his, pa- that's, his, that's his track record, you know? Yeah. You have to first understand that was organized by MI6. It was always a subversive organization. But, you know, if you have to eat an elephant, you try to stuff it down in one bite, you'll choke, but you can eat them a bite at a time. So these entities, MI6, uh, CIA, Mossad, they all for, they all started these organizations and all of them were, uh, supposedly Muslim based, but they really weren't. They were, they were used to get inside the Muslim religion, to get inside Mm -hmm. these countries, to promote legitimate goals, but always they were setting up cells to do their dirty deeds at a later date. And the, right. and the, the Muslim um, Brotherhood, that is really uh, has become a political entity. So they have, 
they have political sway in areas like uh, when the Defense Intelligence Agency was in our home at our invitation. And as you'll notice, we always mention names. Eric Maddox was his name. The agent from there. And he, he was their top in, interrogator. And he told us that the agenda in the United States was being set by Muslim Brotherhood. That's his mouth, not ours. He also said that every translation of any document in Arabic was made by Muslim Brotherhood and then delivered to the U.S. So they were filtering all the translations to fit their agenda. Mm -hmm. So Muslim Brotherhood was absolutely a huge political force here in the United States. So now then we're seeing ISIS has got such a black eye that uh, now ISIS is being attacked by Russia. It's being attacked by by supposedly Trump and China's fixing to step in, they're going to get rid of ISIS. So now the Muslim Brotherhood is boiling back up to the top again and trying to take a position as a legitimate political force. They have been declared terrorists in Egypt and uh, they and have other, some other, other countries, countries too. The United States is but about to do that. The tribes of Libya will tell you that in the Muslim Brotherhood is the group they hate the most. Yeah, I mean, they hate all the radical groups. And they hate the mercenaries and everything. But anytime they start talking, they say, this guy is really bad. He's MB, Muslim Brotherhood. They always yeah. say this to me, meaning that they know the subversive nature and how it tries to get into the top of the politics and take over the country. And the knife in the back will come from Muslim Brotherhood every time. So, you know, you, you, they you told get us back also, to how much, how much history can you believe? Not any. They told us that Obama, they told us in 2011, and they told us before that, too, that Obama was Muslim Brotherhood. No, they told us back in 2006. No, they told us he was Muslim, but we didn't know Muslim Brotherhood oh, yeah, for a while. Right. They told us we were going to have the first Muslim president before Obama was ever elected. And we were kind of surprised at that. They, they were very happy about that. They thought he was going to be a good person that would show how great their religion is and how, you know, whatever they like about it. But mm -hmm. it didn't turn out that way. It turns out he's actually Muslim Brotherhood. And incidentally, and Gaddafi sent him $50 million for his per first presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. That was nice payback, wasn't it? Yeah. Asshole. Well, you mentioned and he also gave it to Sarkozy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, Sarkozy. Huh? Yeah, Sarkozy absolutely. got $50 million from Gaddafi, too. Well, he's in trouble now. He's actually he's been taken up uh, for those two thousand two camp campaign. They 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 say he's he's going to court. He's actually going to uh, he's going to have to go to court this time to uh, defend himself against this two thousand two uh, uh, was no, two thousand five campaign uh, con contributions. And they don't yeah. say from who, but it's probably from uh, Gaddafi and and, and yeah, other people. You know, but he's he's asked that they treat him like his great uncle. Put him on an island someplace. You know, they're both about the same height. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the Libyan tribes, when we first started, when we first left Libya and we started, the tribes started contacting us and saying, please get this truth out. Please get, tell us, tell this truth, tell that truth. And, and they kept offering us documents proving that Sarkozy got this. We have proof that Sarkozy got $50 million. We have this, we have that. We, we didn't take any of that proof because we were not, in, involved in in France politics or anything, but um, we're, we're really business people. The, mm -hmm. the we bring a different attack mode, if you would, to all this information because we were trying to get our business kicked off again in Libya. You know, we had a huge amount. In fact, fifteen years of our lives were invested. All our money was invested in Libya, and so when and we were trying to help them affect the peace so our business gets started again, then we saw all these atrocities and these war crimes and everything, and it changed what we were doing. But 
you know, we, we attack the information differently than most folks. And we try to dig in and find where the truth is. And it's such a cesspool that it's really difficult. And, you know, the, the thing that happened in Libya, there was a man named Musa Kusa, who was head of the investment division for the country. Remember, he supposedly defected during the 2011 thing. They probably mm-hmm. remember that. But yeah, anyhow, uh, a huge bounty was paid for him uh, in in Morocco or someplace, you know, some huge amount, $10 billion or something. That's because they were trying to get Libya's money, not the money in the Federal Reserve System, not the money in Euroclear, but the other money, about $250 billion that was was secreted someplace else. Well, it turns out that when the when the fighting first started, he was encouraged by intelligence people from the United States and the Clinton family that he should convert all that into hard assets that could not be confiscated. So he converted that 250 or so billion dollars into gold and silver and platinum. And uh, of course, when they knocked him over, that was all that was physically taken into Haiti. Because coincidentally, the Bushes had started a gold mine. You know, they took over Haiti. What they've done to that poor country is terrible. But they started a gold mine, started a mining operation there. And the purpose of the mining operation is really to re-hallmark all the gold they stole from not only Libya, but Ukraine and other places. And they pay a fee Mm -hmm. to the the Haitian government of about 3 or 4%. And then they washed that money, if you would. And so it looks like that mine is just producing metal like crazy, and really it's metal that they've stolen from these countries that they've they've taken over. So, you know, is there any gold in that gold mine in Haiti? Only what's been brought in by the Clinton airplanes. So, you know, these are the kind of things they do. They're brilliant. They're brilliant uh, uh, strategists, but, uh, you know, they're grand thieves. You know, Mm -hmm. Hillary sent $1.5 billion to uh, Qatar, and that was to buy a, a huge complex for her in the United Arab Emirates. Three hundred million of it was to go to the her rebels in Libya uh, to start a huge new campaign the day after she was voted into office, before she was even installed. And when she lost, the rebels were informed that three hundred million wasn't coming to them. And uh, you know these these things are are how in the world is somebody with a background and no money that those people had. Uh, shift uh, $1.5 billion. If you and I try to send $25,000 to each other, it'll be stopped and trapped and looked at nine ways from Christmas. Yet all these terrorists and everybody, they they move millions. They steal oil, transfer hundreds of millions of dollars every day, and nobody stops them. You know, the Libyans Collusion. Were, were so concerned about mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton winning the election, they knew their country was finished if she won. They knew that. And they call, they would call every day and they say what what's the news over there? Our news says she's going to win. Our news says she's going to win. You know, I said don't believe it. You know, you have to wait till the election. When she won, they stayed up all night all day all night watching the election, and they were so happy. Uh, they, they were celebrating all over Libya, but the the uh, Mizraka militias and the militias under Hillary Clinton's control were all crying. And they said, mm-hmm. yeah, they were crying. Poor Hillary, our sister. We will always trust you. But what happened was. They said there was an attack to be made on Libya, a, a bombing attack that was going to be the day after she was elected. And they were going to start this revolution thing up again and funding of, of more mercenaries coming in and other things. Then she was going on to Egypt and there was going to be another revolution started in Egypt with her people, her money, same as they did in the Arab Spring. 
And the Libyan tribe said, all of that is finished. It's very quiet here now. It's so nice. Mm-hmm. So all of that ended when she wasn't elected. Her power it, went it, away. Is that, the, is, that the, is that the situation there at the moment? No. That it's no. quietened down. Soros and, and the new, you know, the, the the Zionists and the bad guys have gone back in to, to reinitiate their uh, their attacks on the government, on the country to take it over because it's it's really a, well, they're using a natural their, resource rich country and, yeah. and not many people, if they killed all of them, it'd be a, no loss. The, thing, that, the thing that's happened, Joe, is that they tried to make uh, an event in Washington, D.C. on the 16th of February. It's called the Something for Libya Arab, I don't know what it's, some nonprofit group. And the three speakers there, they had the, the guy that runs the Libyan oil company now, he's Muslim Brotherhood, and they had Ali Zidane, who was one of the puppet prime ministers put in by Hillary, who, who got thrown out and actually had to run off to Germany. He's a, he's Muslim Brotherhood. He's stolen so much money. And the other the other guy is Mohammed Jabril, who started the whole entire mess in Libya. And he he's just a criminal. I don't know what group he belongs to, but he stole a hundred million dollars as Muslim a minister. He, he stole a hundred million dollars as a minister in Libya before 2011 and was thrown out of Libya. So those three guys, they had as the speakers, the main speakers of this event, to tell how Libya can come back and be safe, who should run Libya, and all this stuff. And I, it was a mess. I the Libyans were upset about it. They said, "Please, please, these people do not speak for us." There so, were sixteen presenters for this this thing, and it turned out to be a closed conference just for invitees of the new uh, administration to come in there. And these guys were presenting themselves as the uh, spokespersons for Libya. And they're not. They're everything but that. And Joanne got so uh, upset about this that she organized everybody she knew in Washington, D.C., and they started demanding requests for invitations to attend. People like Walter Fontbrook and Dr. Randy Short and other activists because there was a, a, genocide, a black genocide started in Libya the first week of their Arab Spring, if you would. And uh, all these guys could not justify anything that happened in Libya. No black leader in the United States said anything about it. So they really were going to present themselves at this conference and demand that these guys explain why they were trying to kill all the blacks in Libya. There's over 128 mass graves in Libya that we know of. But uh, the the name of this group is National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations. And it was going to be all about Libya, U.S. relations, new vision, new hope, new opportunities. It's like making Hitler speak about how we're going to fix Germany from Hitler running it. Yeah. You know, so, it's yeah. just crazy. The long and short of that is Joanne was successful in getting them to cancel their event. They've been canceled indefinitely now. Good job. But but the thing is, you know, for, for the Libyan people, they have to have a voice. And it, not anybody out that you see out in the news talking about Libya, I don't care who they are. I don't care if they say they're a Libyan. I don't care if they're Austrian or whoever they are. They're not speaking for the Libyan people. The only group that can speak for the Libyan people now are the tribal leaders. That's the only group. Let me read a sentence to you. Due to events and circumstances beyond the organizers and sponsors' control, the Conference on Libyan-U.S. Relations 2017, New Vision, Hope, and Opportunities, originally scheduled for February 16, 2017, has been postponed. A new date for the conference will be announced soon. (laughs) <laughs> good job we're going to go after that <laughs> listen the black the black community dr randy short is a good friend of ours and he's a, an activist in washington dc 
and actually a big fan of Trump. And he says that the media never talks about how many black people actually support Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, uh, I sent him a lot of the videos that I have and the, and the proof of the black genocide and these horrific things they did. And not only to blacks, but to everybody there, but main, they targeted blacks. Um, he was shocked. He, he couldn't get over it. He said, I, I can't even watch these things. He said, why doesn't the whole world know this? I said, they do these things. They do these things like in Libya, we were told by a person who was ex-intelligence, this scares the people so bad, it shocks them so much that they won't rise up against whatever's happening in their country. This kind of thing is is so shocking. So he, mm. he absolutely went after this. He got his people to call. I called. Everybody we knew called. Beheadings, uh, you know, they would dismember children and put them in the refrigerator of their family when they came home after work or something, they open up the refrigerator and there's the bodies of their children chopped up inside. Those are okay. unsafe. Those things happen. Those things and worse, as we've told you, you know, there was a group of really attractive young women in, in Misrata that were legitimate Misrata, not the, not the, the uh, mafia. Not the Khazarians. And these there. girls were, were abducted. They were raped. They were killed. Their breasts were cut off and their breasts were placed to form nasty words in the square there in Frakta. And, God. you know, can anybody do those things? Listen, Libya was, in, in three days, Libya was impotent to do anything against anybody. And, and the, the Libyan army tried, really what they tried to do was protect the people from these mercenaries. That's what they were doing on the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, they saved a lot of people helping them. They, they invaded a couple of the rape houses that they had in Misrata. But Libya became just... Uh, uh, like a child. They had nothing, and, and NATO went in there and bombed everything you can imagine, uh, from date palms to hospitals to power plants. They they took everything the Libyan people had. They stole all the money out of the bank accounts. They went into their homes. They raped their women. They, took the, they stole them. They put people in prison they didn't like. They targeted. They gave NATO uh, bombing targets of houses of people they didn't yeah. like. The, it was just the, a, a free-for-all. The spies on the ground were mostly reporters. They were CIA operatives, and they would want to go out and see the military bases and everything. Then they would give the coordinates and call in the airstrikes. They would find out where the hospitals were that were treating the military. Uh, those those hospitals would be bombed. Mm-hmm. And uh, these were people like Franklin Lamb, and the, you saw that white-haired guy from New York Times. He was a Brit. But he was over there patching out coordinates, and one day he was on the top of the Grixis giving his, his live statement from Libya, and he said, you know, what needs to happen is a is a somebody needs to put, put a bullet through Gaddafi's head. Well, you know, that's illegal. You can't do that. And he was there in Libya, and the Libyans let all these guys get away with that. We said, why do you do this? And they said, because the truth and our God will save us. Libya was one of the seven naive countries in the world, and literally, that's true. They, the people there were very honest, trusting, not all of them. I mean, there were the Khazarians were there too, but the majority of those people did not understand the way the world. They, they have an 8,000-year-old culture that, that really is precious, that should be saved, that's really they're working at destroying. Non-confrontation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes and, it's like the whole world's being subject to this really harsh lesson in waking up to the reality of predators among us. Cycles, oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. yeah. Fox in the hen house, if you will. Because mm-hmm. all these horrors you just described, I mean, it, I remember when this began, I mean, the Libya campaign, but specifically, 
the way they were selling it to people was that Gaddafi's killing his own people. He's killing protests. He's killing his own people over and over and over again. Yeah, and we got to go in and freedom and democracy and all this stuff. And it's it's such an inversion of the truth that that's exactly takes right. your breath yeah, away. That's exactly right. Exactly. If they had replaced Gaddafi with NATO or US or UN, then you would have been getting the truth. But you know what they said Gaddafi was doing was what they were doing. That's the way they do it all the time. Here in the United mm-hmm. States right now, we're seeing Trump being blamed for activities that Soros is paying for. Right. And, you know, Soros is the biggest funder. You know, they, they I, we heard that uh, that Russia put out a million dollar bounty on his head, dead or alive. <laughs> well, I think I think the world would be well placed for people from all over the world to contribute to that fund to get it up to a real sizable amount. He's an evil, evil man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, every time he has a false flag event in the United States, innocent people die. His actors don't. The CIA shooters that are at those events, they don't get that. Nothing happens then. But the innocent people are killed. And, of course, that's played up by the media. The, the three the three snipers, I think it was three snipers uh, in that started this whole thing in Benghazi. And we actually have videotape of one of the people's people who was. Supposed to be dead. He was part of the false flag that started it. He was shot with two bullets. The in his first head. day, they they the killed day. fourteen soldiers that they claimed were rebels, and they weren't. And embedded with with those rebels on the first day, the first hour of this this false flag, Al Arabia and Al Jazeera were embedded with them, and they were reporting just like you said, exactly the opposite of what was happening. And one of these fourteen men survived two, with two bullets in the head, one in the shoulder. They thought he was dead. As they were transporting him to the desert to bury him, his body was twitching. Somebody saw it, stopped the truck, pulled him off, took him to the hospital in, in Benghazi. They removed one bullet from his brain. The other one was in a place they couldn't, they didn't have the sophistication to do it. They got him in a little bit better health, and uh, they tried to kill him twice. While he was in the they hospital, poison by poison. they got him on a secret plane to Tunisia. He had the second bullet removed there. And we actually were requested to interview him. And, and we went out and met him after he got back to Libya. This is months later. And so the whole story and the embedding of the media with the rebels from day one and them telling exactly what you said, exactly the lies about uh, the military being blamed for what the rebels were doing. We have witness testimony to that. We, we videotaped him for two hours under a tree in the desert. And hmm. after after he, he spoke very slowly because, you know, he had these scars. You see these big scars on his head. He, I, I was surprised he was still alive. His brain speak, worked, but slowly. Know? And hmm. uh, he, we asked him, can we help him? Because there's something we could do for him. And he said, all I really want is my Libyan passport back. That's all he wanted. So we took that to Sheikh Tantouche. We took that uh, gauntlet and was going to get him a, his passport. But, of course, U.S., and NATO came into Tripoli and blew it up. But, um, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, three days, and this is another point most people don't even know. The tribes had put together, had come together for the first time in 100 years. 100% of them came together in agreement to, to write a new constitution to stop this thing. They said, you want us to be democracy? You want us to have a new constitution? Fine, we'll do one. So they wrote mm-hmm. it, and three days before NATO came in and, and brought in their black helicopters and just mowed people down in the streets and took over Tripoli, Three days, we were sitting with Sheikh Ali, the head of all the tribes, and the security of the tribes came to him with a document, and said, and he pointed at it, and he said, this is our new constitution, it's finished. 
was to be voted by on by everybody, including the rebels and bad guys and everything. You know, the, the mm-hmm. thing that's amazing to us is is we're really business people. We never have been activists. Yet we were dropped down in Libya. We were asked to head an NGO fact-finding commission by a group that we didn't even know. Two million members, they're, they're used for peace worldwide. We went in there really to, to see if we couldn't help affect peace to get our business going again. And after we got there, as I said, Joanne said, we saw so many horrendous things that we could not keep our mouth shut. But every time we've tried to get our business started again, it's been blocked. We've been blacklisted, soft-killed by our own government. They, the intelligence agents threatened to kill us. We were captured by al-Qaeda. We would be killed and chopped up and burned. Three miracles got out of there. What's happened is is we have we were put down in Libya for a purpose. And, and you know, God never gives you a cross you can't carry. So he knows both of us have a strong back, and we have been carrying this cross. And the way we, we get information is unlike news sources because our information is raw. Nobody's paying us, believe me. We're not paying them. This is information, as, as one of the intelligence agencies said, we are the greatest source of raw in, info or intelligence on Libya, in fact, all of North Africa. And they said the United States should absolutely be utilizing that, but they're not. And so why because are they Because it's not? the wrong kind of information. Because we're on the wrong they're side. On, they're, yeah. Right, they're on the other side. So, you know, we're, we're doing what we can uh, whenever we try to get our business going. Uh, we get blocked. And we get blocked and we get hammered. What, what, but the information keeps coming into yeah, us. The way we survive, and I believe that the reason we're still alive is because they consider us an asset. They have no connection into any of the tribes. And once you're in with the tribes, you're in with the tribes of Egypt, the tribes of, of Libya, the tribes of Syria. There, there's tribes all over that. They all know each other. Mm-hmm. And they have an underground that's very strong. Um, anyway, I, I for me, um, it's so important that the truth come out for these people because they don't have a life now. They don't have a country now. They don't have anything. And when they speak, nobody listens. Everybody listens to the people who destroyed their country because that's what the media puts out. So, um, and I, I talk to these people all the time, you know, so I know who they are and what they're doing. Right. Right. But remember that that's all the international echo chamber. The point you made before that is that the Libyan people, are talking to each other, and they know what the score is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me tell you the second verse of that song. The people in the United States better start talking to each other. People in France better start talking to each other. People in Germany. in Germany, because we are all about to see the firestorm of an Arab Spring in our own countries. They've been planning it a long time. They've been putting these. They've been putting these guys in place here. They're well armed. They're well well financed, and they have not a problem in the world slicing your head off or mine or anybody else. They have a proxy they have no ties army, to us, and they have a proxy military air force in NATO. They have mm-hmm. they have their full uh, guard ready to go. The fact that we have this confirmed information, verifiable proof, positive of these phony passports, and what happened after that. It should be a damning effect, should have a damning effect on this government to stop that, to take all of them that have come in here at least since 2011. The information you all got about what happened in Saudi Arabia 20 years ago, why was nothing ever done about that? That may have been 30 years ago now. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things have been going on, and we've, we've kind of had our head in the sand. Everything's been okay. We got our pizza and our beer, and our life is more or less okay. 
but no longer is the is the front door safe. And you know, right. as long as our front door was safe and we got our beer and pizza, we were pretty well okay. That's not the case anymore. So we all need to wake up to that. Um, Amen. Joe, I, I want to give you a short update I just got from from the tribes. They just sent it to me. They said now uh, in Tripoli, they have what they call a new National Guard. And the new National Guard is the Libyan Islamic Fighting uh, Group, which is Del Hajj, and the Muslim Brotherhood together. That's who is oh, now oh. roaming the streets of Tripoli. He said they call it the National Guard. They always have some name like they're the the savior of Libya, the the you know the mm. the new. They always have some name uh, that Boy Scouts of Libya. Yeah, like they're a great, honest, wonderful group, and they're not. And the uh, the U.S. Embassy under Deborah Jones, you know, forever was supporting the militias in Misrata, which are the complete reason Libya was blown up. So she's not there anymore. I don't know what's going on with. Uh, with her, but as far as the Mizrata militias being Muslim Brotherhood, they're completely supported uh, still by by the outside Western groups. But mm-hmm. now, now what I'm seeing is is that the, they have a new group called, and you're just hearing this for the first time. Nobody even knows it's been formed three days. The National Guard in Tripoli was set from three days. It means Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, which is Bel Hajj. He finds himself in his headquarters at the Maitiga Airport because they blew up the other airport. And, and he said he's joined hands with Muslim Muslim Brotherhood. So that tells you who the Muslim Brotherhood is. And incidentally, the right, right. airport is the old U.S. military air base, uh, which is east of Tripoli. And that has been the location where they have been flying in mercenaries, money, and weapons almost daily since right. 2011. And uh, We have pictures you know. of that. I mean, they send us pictures all the time, say, show your people, please. But. You know, the problem is, and the Libyans keep trying to feed this information out of the truth. That's why Trump is their hope. You know, they hope that he is a, is a man that will look at the truth and decipher the differences because anybody can do it if they look at the truth. Joanne finds a new politician that's ready to accept our information. We send them some information. Next thing, they have hacked our website and loaded up with 75,000 phony email requests. And we have limited resources to pay for a server, and that's the limit. So when we hit 75000 we're we shut off. It's www.libyanwarthetruth.com. And after they load it up like that, Joanne has to go in and takes her hours to clean all that off. But they effectively shut us down for a day or two while the, the, the service that we pay for threatens us. We've, you know, we've had you know, it hacked. Many times, uh, you know, they, they shut us down a number of Every times. Every time new, new information comes up, bam, 75,000 mm-hmm. emails. But yes. luckily, I I have a cheap server because we can't afford much, but they do have a backup program. Yeah. So they can reinstate the site. It's great that, that they help me a lot. But, you know, Joe, we have our little DVD we sell on our website. Yeah. And that helps us a lot. That's that's actually what we survive on. It tells our story. Have you ever seen the 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 DVD? Yep. Yeah, we have one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it gives our story and a, a lot of information about what happened in Libya. That that yeah. interview, Dennis Kucinich, really outs the Arab Spring for what it was. That was those war games were played before the Arab Spring ever started. And uh, you know, I look at that as a precursor to what's taking place here. As I said, I'm I'm a broken record on that, but you know what we're seeing here and all these these attacks on Trump are so far over the top. And they're for ridiculous reasons. You know, who in the world 
would not want their country to be safe. Who in the world would not want their 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 daughters and sons to be protected from some criminals to come in here and rape, torture, and kill them? Mm-hmm. Now that makes no sense at all. Yet what? that's what the media. Uh, produces as as it's, as what should be done. Yeah, but it's pretty obvious that people are are extremely susceptible to being brainwashed by oh, false yeah. false news. You know, a lot of people are. But then, you know, you really don't know how many people there are because that's the false news. But so, how many people right, there really right. are? I don't know because I've never seen any myself here right. in the United States. Of course, we're way out in the middle of nowhere. But uh, we saw pictures of them in Northern California. Yeah, we saw there pictures. were hundreds in that camp. And yeah. that's in a place in California you can't get to by accident. I'm talking about people in the streets yeah. uh, act, acting like they are against any security at our border. I mean, if you think about that thought, who, who would protest against security for themselves? It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Who would protest for their own slavery? I mean, yeah, exactly. That's part of the part of the problem they don't understand what's going on a silver lining for me though is that i think they're in the minority oh they are and they i think are. i think that that's i think americans in in i mean it's happening all over the world in different contexts and it's being expressed in different ways but i think americans signal to each other on november 8th last year hey we're not buying this as a whole whatever this is the whole the whole scheme buying it and we see through it and we understand that Trump's the best chance of you know something good coming out of it I, I think they told and I think they either try to rig it so that Trump would fail or they could see oh, before did. the actual election day that oh my, he, he's going to win by a landslide and we can't actually just simply flip it for Hillary because that'll be too obvious however we can make it look like it was split down the middle yeah. No, yeah. they were they were it was rigged. And actually some legitimate people in intelligence. Uh there Military. were there were diabolt systems set up in San Diego, in California, I mean San Diego and Denver and one other location that if it looked like Trump was winning, that they would go in and flip the votes for Hillary. And uh, they did it in in two states that were Washington and Portland, I mean, Oregon, Washington, Oregon. And when that was done, the plane was flown over Langley, Virginia, and they said it, the bomb is is hot, and we're going to eliminate Langley, Virginia, if you don't shut off the diabolic control of those systems. Now, these were directed by George Bush Sr. And key not, intelligence. Not the help. The bad, you know, the, the the bad control guys. control of, of, of Hillary winning was directed by George Bush Sr. And the good guys said, we will eliminate Langley, Virginia, period. And so the, the flip of the other states that were still in play didn't happen. But that was stopped. They were absolutely going to flip it to Hillary. And the things that happened, you all didn't see it from your end. But, for example, in Texas, on the early voting, there were 10,000 complaints of their vote being flipped on the first day of early, early voting in the state of Texas. And something that happened on these electronic machines, there's always a paper printout as a backup. To the electronic machines. The director of voting in the state of Texas, very conservative state, very pro-Trump state, that director of voting had instructed all the local uh, 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 positions to eliminate the paper backup this year. Now, that's illegal. He got called out by the governor. He got called he got out. Fired. But, there, the, you know, first day within hours, 10,000 
votes were flipped in early voting here, and that was several days before the election. So, you know, they had they had all these things in place, and they found all over the United States when you touch a spot on the screen to cast your vote. What they had done is they had re-rigged the digital uh, positioning. The matrix. The matrix so screen. when you touched, for example, Trump, it voted for Hillary. And they proved it over and over and over again all over the country. When you had 101% of the votes going for Hillary in a state that always had about at least 30% Republican participation, then you know those machines were rigged. And coincidentally, you know who owns the machines and who did the counting? George Soros and his nephew. And the votes were counted in a company in Spain where there was no record here in the United States. So, I mean, how rigged does it have to be? Wake up. When they did this, uh, when George Bush did this thing in the United States, I don't know if you guys were watching the election, there was a couple hours where there was no news. Mm -hmm. It just went Mm -hmm. dead for a while. That was during that time. Yeah, that was when that happened. Yeah, I was watching that. We stayed up. Um, well, because I'm in the States here right now, and we stayed up to watch the whole thing. And I remember that really vividly. There was this hour and a half, two hours, where nothing was happening. Yeah. And when you, looking, and like, when you were looking online, you, you could see, I think it was it was those northeastern states, like uh, I think it was Pennsylvania that they were waiting to call. And we were looking online yeah. at the votes, and, uh, and, you know, Trump had it. And it was like, um, it was like 99% plus reporting. And then online, we were we were looking at a few different websites. I think it was like Yahoo, New York Times, a couple other ones. And then right at that time, we're watching the news too. The news says, "Oh, it's too late to call because of this reason and that reason." So we checked yeah. back on the websites, and then it 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 changed. And there were a few counties in in that in that one in that one state, and then the votes changed, and it changed to eighty five percent, eighty five percent, or eighty five plus percent reporting. And that brought the the counts down, and then like ten minutes later, it went back up again, and they called it. It was the weirdest. Yeah, thing. Well, that's that's see that hour and a half to two hour period is when the bad guys were, were, were doing their machinations, and they were shut down. And I'm telling you, if they had if they tried to continue, that bomb would have been dropped, and that that sore that that festering cesspool in Langley, Virginia, would have been gone. But, you know, these bad they didn't drop and, and really, I, I think this is the first time in probably 50 years that there was a quasi legitimate vote count in the United States. I don't think our votes have been counted here forever. I think all the the guys were appointed and they won. Whoever got a got in the office was a, was appointed or selected for that position. Now, that's a terrible thing to say. But after we see all these these uh, voting machines for all the time that's been going on and they've had hackers that came in and just with a little insert card, the control card that goes in the machine, the guy could take that and rig it. And then when you plug it in the machine, it, they would all these people would vote and then it would flip the vote and they'd be uh, 80-20 where the real vote was 45-55. And all the inspectors and, and and people that were officials that were watching this stuff could not believe it because they were guaranteed by the government that all these machines were sacrosanct, could not be hacked or anything. And in five minutes, a hacker showed them how they could well, be hacked. Well, there's videos out of those. Yeah. guys prove that, that that happened. So, you know, fortunately, I think I think there was such an uprising for, for Trump. And is if you all saw the rallies here in the United States, 10,000 for Trump was yeah. a small yeah. rally, 20, 30,000. Yeah, besides that, people, 
you know, people out in the street for miles and Hillary would have 300. She'd cancel an event because nobody showed up. Nobody showed up at Bill's events. Her daughter had had a whole string of events canceled because nobody showed up. When was the last? Go ahead. When was the last time a newly elected president turns around and goes out on a thank you tour? (laughs) Never. Backed by popular demand. It's never happened before. Libya did it. Gaddafi did it. Right. In other places. (laughs) Well, Gaddafi never even had any guards around him. He was in the streets and people loved him. You know, people ask me all that I've been asked many times. Well, yeah, but you're a Gaddafi supporter or you met Gaddafi or he was helping. I never met Gaddafi. Jimmy never met Gaddafi. We met Gaddafi through the hearts and minds of his people. And that's the truth. Uh, we met literally millions of people in the street on, in Green Square when they came out in support of their government in July 1st of 2011. And literally people crying, at, you know, what was happening to their country and why, why you know, we love Gaddafi, but Gaddafi was not the leader of the country. He, they had a prime minister. He had, was required to step down. In, in the, 2006, in, when he signed that treaty, he had to step down from office that day, and he did. But he did so many wonderful things for Libya. He was still considered, they considered him their spiritual leader, nothing else. So they loved him, and they wanted him to stay. But, of course, he stepped into the into the banker's realm of gold dinar for Africa, and that would have stopped the fiat toilet paper bankers, and they couldn't have that. Now, we, we are encouraged because Trump is talking about a gold-backed currency for the United States. And all over the world, there's there in the Paris Accord, 206 countries signed that accord uh, in uh, Basel, and they agreed to put substance behind the banks. And as of the 1st of, of January, all banks had to be Basel III compliant, which meant they had to have assets behind all their currency. And then as of uh, they had 120 days to comply, they had to shut their doors. And so we're about to see some legitimacy finally coming to the banking industry worldwide, which for all practical purposes should cut the legs out from underneath the, the Rothschild, Rockefeller, Medici, Trump, Bush, cabal of toilet paper bankers. That'll help the world a bunch. Absolutely. Um but just going back to what you guys were saying about uh, the kind of attacks you come under, I mean, if, if you're being attacked, uh, especially given the kind, of, the kind of work you're doing, then unfortunately it's, it's probably a good thing, you know. Um, not for you, but it's a good thing in the, in the sense that it means you're doing something right, you know. But just on that score, I just wanted to say that people listen to this, that, um, that, that they can, uh, you mentioned it already, but they can get your, uh, your DVD on which contains a bunch of information, videos and transcripts and uh, about the situation in Libya. Uh, and, and it's really well worth the, the, the few dollars that it costs to, uh, th- to get it. And it also helps uh, Jim and Joanne to, to, <clears throat> to keep doing what they're doing, which is very valuable. There are very few people like you two doing what you're doing. So uh, we support it fully. Well, well we also, we much, really Joe. ask everybody, keep us in your prayers. Because believe yes. me, the world that's after us is is vicious, and uh, we're really we are really in this a hundred percent because we're getting information from all over the world because they know that we're going to put it out. They know that we're we're faithful people, and that uh, the agencies can't threaten us, they can't buy us, they can't bribe us. But uh, you know, prayers are real important to us. We've been right. we've had divine intervention in our lives so many times since this started. You know, it, it would make a believer out of anybody. 
Mm-hmm. And the thing, the thing that's important that we're doing is this information, this deal about the passports. That's very contemporary, and it's and it's important for all the people in every country where you're seeing these riots take place to get to your local politician, everybody, and demand that they bring some substance to to, to justify these things they're doing to threaten you people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can here, but it needs to be done in your countries you know, the, as well. The Libyan tribes um, stepped forward after Chris Stevens was killed and made a formal offer to the U.S. government. They would join hands with the U.S. government to fight radical Islamists, jihadists, and help them. And they would clean out their country first, and then they would go with other tribes in other countries and clean the entire world of these jihadists. And that, of course, was never looked at by Obama. That was sent to Washington, D.C. and sent to many uh, congressmen and senators, but it was never looked at. That offer still stands. And that's an offer that Trump needs to look at because the only way you're going to get inside these groups and really find out who the leaders are, who's, who's collecting them, who's funding them, who's doing all this, is through the tribes and the people on the ground because they, have, mm-hmm. they know what's going on there. They understand these people. And believe me, if Trump wanted to vet the people that are coming in, the tribes can vet them in five minutes right. because mm-hmm. they know these people. They know where they're from. They can tell you by the name. If it's a false name, they can tell you where they came from, who they are. They, they, they know all this. All I have to do is ask, ask one question, show them a picture or a name. They'll tell me. The tribes were the only uh, Arab Muslim group that supported Trump. And formally, they supported him. They in endorsed night. him. They endorsed him. They also reiterated their offer to help eliminate these radical psychopaths in Libya and then worldwide. So he's got that offer on his desk. If anybody of his staff has delivered it to him. Maybe we we should all Twitter bomb him him on on Twitter to make sure he sees it. Maybe you would look at it that way. Yeah, we're doing our best. We have an event coming up in Dallas uh, sponsored by a good friend of ours. She's an activist for truth and justice, uh, Regina Ambergia, and she's putting together an event for us in Dallas on the 23rd. where we're trying to get people that are either in media or people like you all people to come and to listen to what we have to say and then reach out to all the people they know to try to get it to the politicians, the, the politicians. To, get, to get this passport information up right. to Trump. And we'd appreciate a, uh, a short interview from you all. If you'd like, uh, we'll record two or three minutes where you say, Nice things about us if you want to, or just to the bad things the, if you want to. Just to the people at the event, what you would like to see happen, or you know who we, you know what what you know about us. It's yeah, um, we'd be honored. Okay, great. That would be wonderful. You can either make your own little video and send it to me, or we can try to tape it on on Skype sometime. Or yeah, we'll we'll make, we're, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say we can probably make our own and probably be better quality, and uh, we can forward forward it on to you. For anybody. Yeah. France or England that wants to fly over for the event. It's February 23rd, 2017 from 6.30 to 9 p.m. at Valley View Center in North Dallas. It's on the second floor near the food court. And really what we're looking for is to try to try to get a group of activists that will then go out and, and, and push this information into the local politicians and, mm-hmm. and uh, see if we can't get this information moved upstream. Yeah, I think we have a number of text number of Texans that listen to the show, so uh, maybe we'll get a few more attendees this way. That would be yeah. great. That would it's be a great. free event. You know, we're just trying okay. to yeah, there's, there's no purvey problem. the truth. Yeah. All right, guys. Listen, we're gonna we're gonna probably call it a night there, but thanks a million again for uh, for talking to us and uh, 
letting us know what's what's going on in Libya because it is something that needs to stay front and center because it's it's kind of a it's an example of 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 everything that's wrong with our world and 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 why basically and people need to know about it. So you guys are doing. I'm I'm really glad that you're still still keeping on, keeping on, and uh, we'll keep supporting you as best we can. We Thank really you so appreciate much. you guys. God bless you all. Saw Radio has yeah. been a great supporter of ours. You guys are wonderful. I mean, uh, we I we love you guys. You're just you, you do a great job too. You really Thank do. You so much. No problem. Happy to. Okay, well, have a good evening, and uh, and we'll talk to you. Hopefully, talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Stay in touch. God bye bless bye. you guys. All right, guys. God bless you. Good night. Bye bye. Okay. What? Are we still on, or is that just Harrison? They're gone, but we're still on. Okay, we're still here. So, um, yeah. Well, we've almost hit two hours there uh, on the show. I think they covered a lot of topics. We covered a lot of topics. Obviously, it's you know it's hard to probe these kind of things uh, in terms of what's really going on. But there's enough information there to really uh, uh, available, not just from Libya, but Syria and Iraq and lots of stuff previous and in between to to to, to validate to suggest that the kind of stuff that we say and the kind of stuff that Jim and James and Juan and Moriarty talk about. That that is really what the way it's 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 happening. That's what's happening in in, in the broad strokes. It's basically yeah. Western powers who have been who have been and are behind this whole radical Islam business yeah. for very obvious reasons. I mean, you don't have to be too conspiratorial about it to think that that's that's outlandish from a strategic point of view and from a greed point of view. The 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 strategy or the idea of funding radical Islam as an enemy that you can then go and fight against in areas that are of strategic importance, i.e. that you can get a lot of wealth out of to feed your greed, makes complete sense. It's Machiavellian, it's evil, it's despicable, it's a horrible, uh, almost unbelievable thing to do. But if you just calm your kind of disbelief down there a little bit or your emotions about it and look at it from the point of view of psychopaths, predators, pretty evil, bigwig type of people with a lot of power, a lot of money, this makes sense in terms of what they would do to achieve the goals that they have, which mm-hmm. are just you know, self-enrichment and, and, and accruing as much power to them as possible. And the end game they described of Arab Springs everywhere, in the West too. Yeah, to a certain extent. It makes sense, but maybe let's not call it Arab Spring, but I'm sure Jim meant that, you know, in quotes. It'll right. obviously have its own a revolution of characteristics. It'll have its own name and its own themes and flags and yada yada. However, there are direct relationships with what's happened in Syria and elsewhere in the Middle East. Yeah. So when he uh, talks- just the other day, I mean, the, these report there are reports that corroborate this kind of horrific scenario. Mm. They are finding, or somebody is tipping people off. I don't know, but they're finding stashes of weapons all over the place mm-hmm. now it's a report from germany where it's a stash of weapons belonging to a group that has right-wing views and then another day it'll be a stash of weapons next to a mosque mm-hmm. and how the hell did that get there right there so, are lots of signs of setting up a scenario of 
armed conflict. That's what it, we mean by look, Arab Spring. A war of all against all. Right. They're talking about some, when they talk about Arab Spring, look at Arab Spring in Libya, look at Arab Spring in Syria, what happened? Everybody knows what happened in those two countries and what the Arab Spring brought them. It was conflict, social chaos and conflict on, on a wide scale. So when Jim talks about uh, the same thing, an Arab Spring happening in Europe or in America, that's what he means. Social chaos and armed uprisings or armed conflict of some, some kind between uh, you know, factions, factions of the population or whatever. You know? Yeah, it'll begin with, oh, extreme views are either on one side or the other. But but look at Libya today. Uh, they gave us an update on what the, the guy we spoke with last week is trying to do. How's it going for him? Shake Town 2, she says, he says to them, uh, well, it's hard. I'm trying to go out and talk to sense into some of like this militia now and now this militia and these people over here. But everyone's angry and everyone's armed. Yep. And it's just chaos. There's no nice, clean side. If you think things are relatively good now, like, say, you can bash the liberals because they're all one amorphous big entity over there, and my side's cool. Well, that's how it begins. You've got two sharp extremes, but quickly it just fragments into all against all. Yeah. Don't let that happen. Keep your mind focused on where this is coming from and all the nefarious and the multiplied ways in which it's spread because they, they'll catch you you know if not with one thing with another yeah exactly. with another ideology one ideology or another or one hot button or another one trigger point or another whatever gets your goat basically you get you know so you got to resist that kind of stuff because it's just you know it's like john lennon said uh you know when they have you when when, when they get you violent they something like that that's what they want you, or they know how to handle you when you're yeah. violent, basically. Which isn't to say be a pacifist. I mean, there might come a time where, you know, you, you, you need to stand up with feet and arms and everything. But, but he means mad, mad, uh, sorry, um, mindless violence. Right. You know, mindless, just right. reactionary violence, you know. Not in your own interest, ultimately. Okay. Anyway, I think we'll call quits there for the night, folks. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for our chatters. We'll be back next week. Uh, with another show to be announced until then have a good one see you next week bye bye see you everyone